Welcome to the Top Order Podcast. We're getting into the business end of the New Zealand summer. New Zealand, India coming up on the podcast. We're going to talk results, umpiring, spin, whether Wagner should have played, as well as a whole heap of other stuff with the New Zealand domestic rap and a host of other things. All coming up on the Top Order Podcast. Stay tuned. Well, guys, it's getting to that exciting period of time leading into the Christmas and festive season here in the Southern Hemisphere. We've got plenty of cricket coming up, but Test Match just finished over in Camper, New Zealand, India. Um, Raj, I'm going to, I think, come to you first with regards to, I guess, look, I guess a, um, a result. Um, well, it was definitely going to be a result, but was it the one we expected? Well, um you know, I expected a win, of course, but now that the draw, the draw, the draw is a, is a great result playing in India. I think uh, it was a great display by 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 our whole team, really. I think maybe Stu will come to the spinners a little bit later, but definitely from a batting perspective, which, which I'm looking at a bit closer, we gritted our teeth through a through through two innings that were very hard to bat in. In a time where on the podcast we're talking about you know constantly berating batsmen for taking an easy option, you know trying to hit themselves out of out of trouble. Uh, that's not what we did. So I'm really happy with that batting performance and I think our seam bowlers did far more than their fair share when it comes to taking wickets and really making an impact on the result of that game. Uh, we probably could have done with one more, which I'm sure we'll come to at, at some stage during uh, during this pod. But uh, over to you, Lippy. What did you make of it? Oh, look, I, I thought you were, you were just going to spend the first couple of minutes talking about that brilliant debut from, from Rachin Ravindra. I know you've, you've been an early adopter of of Ratchin. um but yeah geez nervous times at the end there watching uh watching him and, and AJS keep the the spinners out I mean yeah Ratchin had that decision overturned the ball was barely bouncing above ankle height and uh you know after it kind of really looked like a, a pretty decent pitch to stay in on earlier on, on in the day it, it didn't you know didn't seem like the amount of demons that we we maybe thought it was but you know yeah as, as exciting as it was at the end I was definitely sitting there shouting at the screen like Every time these umpires pulled those light meters out, just call it now, call it now, call it now. And, um, you know, was pretty happy with that result at the end. And I think I've, I've seen a lot of people in, uh, sort of saying that it's one of those results that feels like a, a win in, in many respects. But then a part of me started thinking, you know, that's 10 unbeaten tests in a row now for New Zealand. Eight wins, two draws with a World Test Champions, number one test side. I maybe come to you, you neutrals. Like, should we be celebrating a draw? Oh, absolutely. In those conditions, I mean, New Zealand have only won two test matches in India in the entire history of their cricket, I think, if I if I remember a stat that was quoted to me earlier this week. So, absolutely. Lost the toss. India got to bat first in probably the better of the batting conditions. New Zealand had to bat last on a wicket that none of us thought was going to be a draw wicket. We all thought that that was going to be a, a win wicket either way. The toss was very important. But as you say, New Zealand dug deep and really, really gritted their teeth and made batting uh, really hard for for India to, to break through and, and run through them on the final day. I thought Will Somerville's... Uh, Effort as night watchman was excellent to bat through a whole session and and see off a hundred balls. That was really crucial to be able to set up that that defence or that um, stoic uh, rear guard effort from the New Zealand batters and and they just held on with enough wickets in hand at the end. Yeah, I couldn't agree more with you, really, Baldy and Lippy. You asked the question, I think, in the last podcast. What's a result for New Zealand on this tour? You know, two Test matches, Kampur and Mumbai. 
And look, I guess you looked at me a little bit um, quizzically when I said I think, you know, coming out of it with a draw is actually a really good result for, for New Zealand. And I think the only the only sort of downside I'd probably put on the performance is I didn't really ever think you were in with a chance of winning the game. Raj and I were having this conversation over text during the course of the match. And, and just really that run rate, you, you've got to be able to kind of put the pressure back on. And whilst I thought the partnership between Young and Latham in that first innings was obviously fantastic from a runs perspective, um, it didn't seem as if New Zealand could find that you know, that additional gear when they were batting. And I think if you look at the run rates through the four innings, that's really shown in, in that statistic. So look, I'd hope the pitch in Mumbai might offer a little bit more because um, let's be honest, this was a pretty slow deck, wasn't it? Um, and actually, you know, almost got not necessarily easier to bat on, but it was quite easy to, to survive on, um, if not score on. So yeah, that, that'd be the one takeaway potentially for New Zealand. How do they actually up the run rate if they need to in this game in Mumbai? Yeah, that's going to be a real question for them moving forward. But one of the highlights for New Zealand, of course, was having India 50 for five in that second innings. That was the opportunity that really let um, slip away for that black cap side. India are only ahead by 100 at that stage. Another wicket or two, and they would have been able to get right amongst the pigeons of that lower Indian order. As it was, six, seven, eight for India were able to um, make a bunch of runs and, and give India an almost unchaseable score. India, uh, New Zealand did well to to round out that that draw from that stage. But I just felt like there's opportunity slightly missed there from New Zealand's point of view to ram home that advantage, a team that's normally pretty good at taking advantage when another team makes a mistake. Yeah, I feel like in India, if you're betting second, you have to really make inroads with the ball in one of those innings, whether it's the first innings or the second innings uh, bowling. They did that. They did that. Shreya Sire, though, um, you know, gritted out another 50, which is giving uh, the Indian team a lot of headaches for the next test match. But that, that innings really uh, popped India up and, and took that control back. I don't have a problem with the run rate that New Zealand were batting at. I think at that stage, uh, you know, India had scored 345. There was probably 100 runs too many uh, to, to really sort of make an impact. Um, and they, they just sort of gritted it out and got fairly close in my opinion I think they, they did they did a great job to get as close as they they could I just have a couple of questions I know we're going to talk about teams we, we, we had a question in the um, in the previous pod just around what do you think the pitches are going to be like how do you guys think overall that pitch played it's funny Baldy and I were talking about it just uh, just before before you guys um, you know we were talking beforehand before um, when you guys were uh, waiting for us and um, it's interesting because it was it wasn't a very good pitch in terms of watching a spectacle for uh, like you guys have said run scoring and all of that kind of stuff it was a it was a pitch where staying in looked okay but actually scoring runs anyone that tried to up the rate it looked very very difficult but then on the flip side of that you've I, I was enthralled throughout that test like it, the whole way through it felt like it was ebbing and flowing. You kind of didn't know who was on top. It felt like a, a wicket or two here could sway things. And you've got to the end of day five with nine wickets down. It, a result was very much on the cards. So it's sort of exactly what you want from, from test cricket. So I, I don't know. I mean, yeah, I I, um, I don't know what you what to make of that because I, I loved it from a, a, you know emotional point of view. Yeah, I, I agree with your comments here, Lippy. I think the difference, if we look back to that England series, uh, the commentators actually mentioned it, mentioned it a couple of times. 
the ball wasn't spinning sharply or doing crazy things from right in the middle of the pitch. It might have done it from the footmarks and stuff like that. And I think that's the, the massive difference. And I think it was a perfectly balanced test all the way through. Seamers in one side taking wickets, spinners in the other side, batsmen throughout all four innings scoring 50s and, and 100. So, look, I uh, I think it was a really well-balanced test. And, and you've got to give it to the uh, the pitch curator there. We've been giving him a lot of a lot of crap uh, across, across India for the pitches that they have been preparing in recent series but that was a fairly even pitch so so well done yeah look I guess ironically it didn't deteriorate enough is probably the summation of it um from a yeah from a sort of I guess the traditional it's really going to spin on day four and five in India I've probably got to take the counterpoint really that we're the wrong audience for this we're purists and you know we can see the romance in almost any test match but this isn't really going to bring the crowds back, is it? Scoring rates of two and over and quite attritional cricket at times um, from a wider game perspective. But look, as I said, we're, we're purists, so uh, we've probably got the rose-tinted glasses on to a certain extent there. And um, look, we, we sort of alluded to the fact that there were a lot of uh, strong player performances in that test match. I, I might try and stay out of this conversation at the risk of uh, seeing seeming uh, some sour grapes, but... Maybe the neutrals can touch on the umpiring in this test because I, you know, uh, as I've said, I'll, I'll stay out of the, the general chat, but I felt it was pretty poor. Yeah, Nitin Menon probably didn't have his best game as an umpire. After a couple of days, I felt like India probably had a little bit of the rub of the green. There was the um, there was a couple of dismissals or a couple of reviews in India's first innings batting where um, umpire gives not out and then umpires call reveals that you know that would have been a you know a pretty close decision and then on the flip side when New Zealand were batting I thought uh, Henry Nichols even though he was given out sweeping um, in that first innings that one looked a little bit outside off stump and he would have probably considered himself a little bit unlucky so a little bit of a rub of the green in the first innings but I don't think any of the decisions in in isolation uh, either spoke to a clear advantage to one side or the other and probably didn't impact the overall outcome of the game but it certainly wasn't a um, it certainly wasn't a great uh, game for the umpires interesting that Tom Latham was the first person I think in the history of tests to successfully review three times in his batting innings so it just goes to show that maybe the umpires didn't have the best game uh, with the finger going up or the finger staying down yeah, look, and, and completely agree there from, um, it, it didn't seem at any point to me, like I'm not trying to allude to it being, uh, you know, any form of cheating. I just think they had a really, really bad test match. And like you say, there's just it seemed like there was a passage of play there where every single decision, no matter which team it was for, uh, it would go up and get reviewed and overturned. And Binksy, you, you had a bit of an interesting idea on, the, uh, on our Slack channel around reviews, and I guess in these COVID times and you know, not having the elite panel umpiring. Do you want to uh, fill everyone in a, a bit about that and how it might work? Well, look, I, again, it's a little bit like um, my idea for improving overrates, which is quite punitive. You know, you start removing <laughs> players or, you know, um, amputating limbs arbitrarily uh, throughout the course of the, the test match and it won't happen again. But on a serious note, one of the things that I've reflected on as we had those discussions talked a little bit about the 15 seconds and the warning that you know young kind of reviewed maybe a second or two late but the right result would have been got if he'd have been allowed to have that review the ball clearly missing leg leg stump upon um yeah the replays 
And I think that just the way that that works now, we, we go to the bunker, obviously, in NRL. Um, the Premier League, for all of its flaws, goes to VAR. And there's a very, very clear process that the fans and everybody else understands. And I think just the fact that it's going round on the chat that it's 15 seconds, but we don't actually know when the 15 seconds starts. And if there's a big screen, then the umpires don't have to give a warning. But if there isn't, then they do. It just seems as if they haven't professionally or they haven't sort of really outlined what the experience is for the player or the fan with that 15 second DRS timer. And then the second point I think is, I think actually in uh, some of the series now, they've actually increased the number of reviews when there's non-neutral umpires so that you know, they have reflected upon the fact that they need to do that. But I almost think now with, yeah, look, I guess to put in a little bit pre- less pressure on those umpires, do we need a mechanism that, you know, things can be reviewed? We're reviewing no balls, aren't we? The third umpire is reviewing no balls. So again, can they not at least check some of those decisions? And even if it's as simple as, you know, they they check every single out um, to make sure there isn't anything wrong within that. Obviously, I think you can't necessarily check every single appeal. Um, The umpires have got to obviously judge that to a certain extent. But I, I could certainly see a situation where at least reviewing every single out decision is something that would be worth uh, worth doing in this climate where we haven't got those best um, umpires. And I know, Baldy, you've run some stats on this, but the difference between the guys at the very, very top of that list, your Richard Kettlebras and, and whatnot, and the, the guys at the bottom of that elite panel were quite stark. Um, so even more so when we've not even got, you know, those elite panel umpires in all of these test matches. But yeah, what do you guys think? I don't mind the idea of reviewing an out decision. I think you give the umpire the opportunity to say not out. And if the captain strongly disagrees, then he might be able to overview, uh, overturn. But if you give an out and then the umpire or the third umpire has an opportunity, particularly for LBWs. I mean, if you get your stumps knocked over, then there's probably not a lot of opportunity to argue the toss. But, you know, a low <laughs> so catch. You, do, you don't need yeah, to appeal uh, a ball, do you, though? That's the thing. That's that's true, and and unless you're Grace, you're not going to be able to get any, as you say, Grace, no pun intended. But I don't mind the idea of, of reviewing an out decision, particularly if it's an LBW, and then having the opportunity to to go through that process and make sure the umpire doesn't have a howler, which is the the thing that we're trying to avoid. And probably in Will's young in Will Young's case, we would be talking about that as a bit of a howler decision because it clearly missed leg stump by a stump and a half. Raj, what do you think? I actually, I don't actually have a problem with it. To be honest, I think that all throughout this test we saw the right decision being made, aside from that one where they've, you know, missed out on the review, which I also don't have a problem with. I don't know what the exact protocols are around the 15 seconds and you get a five second countdown from the umpire or whatever that is. As long as those protocols were followed, I don't have an issue with New Zealand being missed, missing out on that review. For me, I think that one should have been reviewed straight away. I don't think that decision was even particularly close. I thought it was clearly going down the leg side. It's easy with hindsight. I, I can see Banksy nodding his head at me. Uh, but uh, look, I, I, I think I have no problem with that. Latham should have sent that up straight away, gone, nah, that was not out, and, and we would have got the right decision. We haven't actually had the wrong decision. Yeah, it's a good point you make, and, and I guess that's why I said that um, you know I, I don't think there was you know a, an inherent bias or, or anything like that. I don't think there's any funny business, but... Look, that we, the young situation was was probably one of the the controversial points. Another one that seemed to pop up was Ravi Ashwin's follow through, which, you know, I I probably a biased person again because I just 
love watching him bowl. You know, I, I really do. I know he rubs a lot of people up the wrong way, but he is just so skilled. He's just constantly thinking and testing the batter. He challenges them in so many different ways. And, you know, as someone who only could really bowl a traditional off-spin delivery. I mean, he, he's just an absolute master t- to watch. But I, I guess we should throw it out t- to you guys. D- is that something that bothered you when he was following through to the, the opposite side of the, the pitch? Because it seemed to bother a lot of, a lot of people, certainly in social media, and, and, um, and uh, you know, the commentators made a massive deal about it. The umpires were talking about it. The only thing that I think that really bothered me about that incident uh, from a from a batting point of view is he did follow through a cross in front of the non-striker. And as a bowler, you're not allowed to interfere with the non-striking batsman in your follow-through unless, you, of course, you know, you're going over to attempt to catch, in which case you're entitled to, to do that. So he's not allowed to impede the non-striker, nor is he allowed to dis- instruct the non-striker where to stand. So from an umpire's point of view, that's the conversation that they're having with R. Ashwin. As an umpire, I would also be talking to him and saying, look, if you're going to stand in front of me after you've delivered the ball, I'm not going to be able to give you an LBW decision. I mean, yes, you might be able to send it upstairs, but from that point of view, his his view of the wicket is going to be impeded uh, by Ashwin following through in front of him. So I'm sure that's the conversation that the umpire was having with Ravichandra and Ashwin. I think people just get under the hot under the color, collar with him in particular because of the previous track record that he has. Of course, a couple of man-cat incidents. There was the incident last year in the IPL where he ran a single off the deflection of Rashad Punt, who he was, who he was batting with at the time. That might have been in a one-day game, an international game, I can't quite remember. But those kinds of incidents tend to stack up in the memory of cricket fans, and I think a few people get under the collar when you kind of repeatedly have those incidents. Even if each individual incident well within the laws of the game, they start to add up and people sort of, sort of get a, a, you know, a perception about you as a player, even if that's not necessarily maybe true. Yeah, look, he's clearly a guy who reads the rule book probably more than the umpires if you go on the, um, <laughs> the events in this game to a certain extent. And the only thing I disagree with there, Bordy, is if I were the standing umpire, I wouldn't even get involved with the conversation about him standing in front of me. I'd just give it not out and let him kind of figure out why it's been given not out. And if he asked the question, obviously the umpire not uh, needing to give an answer to that, I'd just be like, sorry, I'm not going not gonna to give you any feedback, son. Um, but again, I, I think if it wasn't Ashwin, we wouldn't even be having this conversation. It's his previous track record that probably leads this to being a little bit of a, a storm in a teacup. Just looping back to what Lippy was saying, it was great gamesmanship, wasn't it? It was when we were 130 for none. He was trying to do something to, to, to get a wicket. I feel like if he's in your team, you can kind of defend that, but to everybody else, he looks like a bit of a goose. Lippy, to you, with the spin question more generally now, so some criticism of the New Zealand spinners and obviously praise, I think, for... Um, the Indian spinners. I do want to ask you a question about Axar as well because we were having this chat on our Slack channel and, and Lippy, you made a pretty bold comment. I think that, you know, Axar wouldn't get a game overseas for you, um, for, for India. I think that was your comment. So, yeah, just interested, yeah, for you to give us your take, I think, on the, the spin v spin battle in this in this test match. Well, I'll address the, the India one first and then let's move to the New Zealand stuff. But I, I think... What I, what I, I guess the point I was trying to make about XR was that I don't think he will get that opportunity to play overseas. It's it's not, and I'm actually more, really really curious to see because I actually think I, I have no idea because he's such 
he's such a consistent bowler and he has so much uh, success over in India. We've, I mean, he's obviously only had a, a very limited test career, but, it, he, you know, he's been absolutely remarkable in that time. I think you called him the, the left-arm Bradman or, or whatever you called him in a, in, during the, the England-India uh, series. But, you know, he... On one part of me wants to say, well, look, he just has this one mode of dismissal and that's so, you know, on a harder, bouncier pitch that doesn't really turn very much, he'd be very easy to play and just play him like a medium pacer and deal to him. The other part of me goes, well, he's hit, he's hitting the stumps just about every single ball and he bowls very consistent lines and he can spin the odd delivery. So, you know, he's he's going to be able to build a lot of pressure overseas as well and yeah, I'm just in- incredibly curious because I, d- I don't think we'll necessarily get that uh, option to see him because his skill set overlaps with Ravi Jadeja so much and, and Jadeja brings so much with the bat. But I guess on the New Zealand stuff, look, I, I don't want... I I think it's clear that they didn't have their, their best games, but I, I want to jump to their defence a little bit in terms of... Like, I, I think it's worth noting that both of those two have had almost no cricket for quite a long time particularly Will Somerville. I don't think he's played a first-class game, probably not even a club game, since maybe March or April. And I know you can do a lot of bowling in the ga- in the nets and you can prepare, and I'm sure he's been doing all of that. Even Ajaz, you know, he went on that tour to Bangladesh, but that was white ball stuff. It, it's, yeah, they've, they've had a very long break, so I'm not overly surprised that they looked a bit rusty, and, and I think they, they would look better for the run. I also don't think the pitch... We've sort of touched on it before. I don't think the pitch was as helpful for spinners as we expected it to be. And the fact that they, I, I think that probably the thing that they'll be most disappointed in is that they didn't, they weren't able to build that pressure and build as, as many dot balls as the Indian spinners were. And I think that's probably what they might look to do if, if they play in the next test. But that probably leads us to the next question, which, you know, Raj did, I mean, did they make a mistake really in, in not playing? Wagner, I probably already know your answer, and and I guess if they did, you know, if 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 he's you know a lock to come back for the second test, who is it for? Because you know, Rach and Ravindra played a, a very important role there. They clearly want an, another batter. I don't think we needed the three spinners necessarily in terms of of how we bowled them, but who is it that misses out? Well, I'll answer your first question there around Neil Wagner, just to be a bit emphatic. Do I think we should have picked Neil Wagner? Absolutely, we should have picked uh, Neil Wagner. But look, uh, I'm I'm not on the ground there, and they picked the team that they thought was best for those conditions, and they have every right to do that without Raj saying that they're silly. So so Raj won't do that. (laughs) Um, But going forward, I think that our best chance of taking 20 wickets is with three seamers. No matter what wicket we're on, I think that those are our best bowlers currently or in in the current environment, and they fit our team, team the best. When it comes to the, the spin options, I actually liked Ruchin Ravindra. I know you, I, I did want to say a little bit about him because we have been calling for him to be in the team for a while, and it was great to see him get a go. He had a massive impact on that result, as you said, with that, that stoic display. Uh, but I'm unsure about what his role is within that side. And, and, and if we know what that role is, then we can start to make these sort of, um, you know, these, these sort of predictions around what the team should look like. If he's going to be batting there at six, seven, whatever it is, and being that second spinning option, I think that's a great position for him uh, before he graduates to opening the batting. So it's a Devin Conway can move down the order a little bit. But yeah, for me, I, I would, I think, uh, I would bring Neil Wagner in and I would um, probably... 
leave Will Somerville out. But I do want to say he... Um, I'll back up what Lippy said. He's, he hasn't played in a really, really long time for competitive cricket, and he still had a massive impact on that game with the bat. With the, even though it wasn't with the ball, his chosen specialty, uh, his batting on that last day got us through to that draw in, in a big way. And and look, I mean, you you talked about the seamers there. We, you know, I think uh, I don't even know that we need to talk about them that much because. They, they talked for themselves, Kyle Jameson and Tim Southey. They, they were actually just tremendous. And to think that, you know, the majority of New Zealand's wickets in that test were taken by those two on con- in conditions that weren't uh, that they weren't conducive to, to seam bowling. You know, we talked about how they maybe weren't as conducive to uh, pace bowling or spin bowling as, as we thought they might be. But, you know, it wasn't like it was moving all around and, and everything. So, yeah, just, I mean, look... I, sorry, Baldy, I don't want to take another pot shot at your, your Hall of Fame rankings about not getting enough Kiwis in there, but you know, I did start to wonder when, it, when, when I was watching that whether Tim Southey's really getting himself in that conversation for, for version 2.0 coming in, what, 2025 once we get through these first 100 players and move to the, all the other formats that we're going to do and stuff. But yeah, look, just, just tremendous stuff. But we, you know, we should probably, I think you guys talked about him very briefly before, but we should talk about Shreyas Iyer a, a little bit because he was he was brilliant. When I was messaging with Raj, when he batted, he, he ran down the wicket to I think for his first runs or very very early on in the wicket in the in his innings, and he hit AJS Patel, skied one up in the air, just sort of fell short or fell out of reach of Kane Williamson, and I, I you know me and Raj were messaging saying oh he's so unlucky, and, and Raj I think messaged back and said look he'll give us another opportunity, don't worry. And he just didn't throughout the whole rest of that test. And, I mean, he's made it pretty tough now, a really tough decision for Rahul Dravid coming back in. I, I don't know. What do you guys think he's going to do? Because Coley for sure will come back in. I imagine they thought Aya would be the one missing out, but you can't now, can you? I think the big question for India is, do they substitute one of their opening batters and move Chiteshwa Pujara up the order to, to open the batting and then slot everyone kind of up one? Because I think Shreyas Iyer is is an absolute must-have now in the second test. Uh, I think a lot of punters will be thinking, well, do they drop Rahane? Do they drop Pujara? What do they do there? Do they drop maybe one of their bowlers and play an extra batsman? I think the question mark is, do they substitute Mayank Agarwal, put Jiteshwara Pujara up in to open the batting temporarily, and then everyone kind of slides up one? And, and maybe that's an unpopular opinion, but if I was a selector, I would be considering Shreya Sire greater value than potentially Mayank Agarwal. And... Chitesh with Pajara has got the right temperament to open the batting for India, even if it's only in a one-off test. So I'll just stand up for myself a little bit around uh, Shreyas Iyer and the, uh, you know, he did give us a chance. It was just 100 runs later, but um, uh, he batted really well. And, and I guess you take his runs away from that game and it's, it's a very different story. It's almost 50-50 in terms of New Zealand getting that that victory, I think. Um, I don't know if he keeps his spot. I believe he's earned it. He definitely has earned it, but the the factor here, the factor we're not really thinking about here is Virat Kohli and, and his decision making and how he wants his team to look like, uh, along with Rahul Dravid. I I I believe that uh, un- unfortunately Shreyas Iyer might miss out, which I think would be a massive, massive travesty. But um, yeah, he's, he's, they're just going to go with the status quo there. I think through the middle three, four, five, as as it has been over the last eighteen months, two years. 
Baldy, it reminds me a little bit of the Australians back in their pomp. You had a, a few guys that came in, I, I recall. I think Brad Hodge came in and did he not even get a double century or something like that? Never um, played again. Playing for us and never played again. You've got guys like Martin Love who came in and scored really big runs. And it was just, a, a, I guess, a result of the fact that they had such a strong batting lineup. And um, that's why you've got to give him, I think, major credit because he must have been going out to bat going, do you know what? I've only really got one chance here. All I can do is make this one chance count and leave it up to the selectors for, for the next game and, and maybe look at the form of Pajara and, and Rahane, which hasn't been particularly stellar over the past 18 months. So like you say, big call for Raul Dravid and uh, Virat Kohli to make going into, uh, the, going into the next game. And I guess just a quick one on the Somerville piece. Not a lot of left-handers in that. Indian lineup and you know I don't want to talk up talk too much about matchups but I, I think that that's got to impact the way that they look at this test match because they've got to go in looking to take 20 wickets and on with Raj that I think you know Wagner gives you that opportunity to do that and and almost is a variation and um, with his angle uh, obviously you guys missing Trent Bolt for this series and also the, his ability to actually bowl really, really dry and, and perhaps do the work of a, of a spinner and go for, you know, 2, 2.2 um, in the first innings if it's pretty flat as well. I think it's a great point that you guys make around the balance of the side. And, and I'm actually, fast, I don't want to make that decision. I think it's a really, really tough one because I think you're deciding between having that extra batter or having that extra bowler. And, and it's a really tricky situation for them for them to navigate. And I yeah, I just want to see what they do. But look, we probably uh, want to c- touch off a few other little things that have been going around in, in the world of cricket. Raj, obviously COVID has, has just started playing another role, another variant. Uh, it's you know having an impact on cricket once again in South Africa. Yes, another variant uh, popped up in South Africa, as our friend um, friend of the podcast Joe Biden says, Omnicron, as it's called. Um, look, the situation's very fluid at this time of recording. We don't know what it means for cricket, but we can guess or hazard guesses towards it. Uh, a lot of countries are closing their borders to Africa, um, but at the moment there is cricket going on in South Africa. So India A is there playing unofficial tests against South Africa A, and those games are still going ahead. They haven't really been affected. Uh, they're just in, in tighter bubbles uh, with no crowds, and, and, and they're still going ahead. Uh, India is scheduled to tour their, begin a seven-week tour uh, next week, and, and that's still going ahead as of this moment. So, look... It's promising that though that the India A tour is still going ahead, and the India tour is that's scheduled for next week is is still going ahead at this time. But look, unfortunately, it's players back to bubble life and a bit more, you know, a bit more, but being a bit more locked down until we know a bit more about this variance. Um, and and we also have South Africa, which is scheduled to come here next year uh, to New Zealand, which, which could cause some some issues around the quarantining process, etc. But look, just just. We're just going to have to watch this space and see see what happens with this new COVID variant. And Lippy, it wouldn't be a top order podcast this week in cricket without a Stuart Lipshaw domestic New Zealand cricket wrap. What have you got for us this week? Oh, look, you know, I don't want to go too deep in the weeds here. I know we're already, uh, you know, cranking on for, for time here. Um, but, you know, I think I could talk for for quite a while on this, but things are really disjointed in the, in the domestic comps because Auckland still hasn't really joined. So... I think the the things that I want to highlight are more around just a few things that have happened. And obviously the Super Smash has returned over the weekend and just awesome to see a, a couple of New Zealand's young stars and, and Finn Allen and uh, Amelia Kerr, you know, back on the pitch and back just doing what they best, 
do best. Finn just smashing it all over the park and Melia Kerr spinning a web, getting runs. It's it's just great to see because, you know, I think I really think Finn is a pretty good chance to be in that, that next T20 World Cup squad in, in 2022. So, you know, really, and, and Amelia Kerr is going to play a big role for, for the White Ferns. I do want to give a shout-out to the Otago Sparks, who are sitting at the top of the table in, in the Halliburton Johnson Shield, mainly because they didn't win a game, in the, a single game over the past two seasons. Uh, so, you know, to be now sitting at the top of the table... Again, it's been a weird kind of season because games have been rained out and, uh, you know, Auckland hasn't joined in. But, you know, really, really good to see Otago uh, forging forward there. And the final thing that I wanted to highlight is, I guess, something I've really got my eye on as the season develops. And that and that's the tussle between, uh, that's going on really for that, in my head at least, for the, the backup specialist wicketkeeper role. Now that BJ Watling's kind of retired and Tom uh, Blundell's been elevated to that. And obviously we've seen Tim Seifert lose his spot in the, in the T20 format. And, and that tussle's going on between Dane Cleaver and, and Cam Fletcher. Both top five run scorers in the Plunkett Shield. Cleaver's just smashed a, a hundred match-winning 100 in the Super Smash at the weekend. So clearly just both in, in great form. And I, I wonder if we see you know one of them kind of stick their head up above the other and, and whether one of them ends up on that white ball tour to Australia or if an injury presents itself over the home summer. But yeah. It, it, plenty, plenty of cricket like you guys have touched on that we're we're about to be treated to. So, yeah, Baldy, look, I I know we're we're about to wrap up the podcast, but you wanted to touch on Abdullah Shafiq. You you've really uh, identified another potential young star, maybe. Yeah, top order podcast continuing to unearth stars of the future: <laughs> Devon Conway, Cole McConkie, and now Abdullah Shafiq. Oh, he's now already played Test cricket. After just three first-class games, actually. He's only played three first-class games, already got two hundreds. He's played 20 T20 domestic games. He's got 104 fifties and an average of 131 in T20s. He averages 86 at first-class level. He's just made his debut in the test against Pakistan, against Bangladesh, I should say, opening the batting. 52 in the first innings, brought up his 50 with a six. And then in the second innings, when Pakistan chased down uh, the target, 203 for two, he made 73 off 129 in the second innings and brought up his 50 with a six. So back-to-back 50s on debut for Abdullah Shafiq. Like I said, he's only just turned 22, 22 years old and 10 days. Already made his test debut. He's played three first-class games, got 200s and now 250s and two test matches. An absolute superstar on the rise. One to watch. You heard it here first on the Top Order podcast. Well, that's great, Baldy. Uh, player identification uh, manager to go alongside Raj's role as the health and safety rep for the Top Order podcast. Raj made a joke about Joe Biden being a friend of the show. I did notice in the stats this week we were slightly <laughs> up in the USA, so who knows, we could be getting a listen or two from the Oval Office or the Roosevelt Room uh, at the White House. Um, but on a more serious note, if you do like the podcast, the greatest tribute you can pay us is to pass it on to a friend, your cricket club, or anyone that you think might listen uh, to a bit of irreverent banter with appalling statistics um, and dad jokes. But for now, it is good night from us all here at the Top Order Podcast. Um, we'll see you very shortly in the feed for our Ashes preview um, with Belinda Farrell, as well as a whole host of other episodes in the pipeline, including an interview with New Zealand spinner Ish Sodi. So stay tuned, but good night and God bless from us all here in Auckland. Good night. See you soon. 